Welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, a show about investing and financial markets, where you'll hear from some of Australia's top investment analysts and fund managers about their views on the market. The Invest It Best podcast is brought to you by Wilson's, one of Australia's leading financial advisory firms with a proud and successful history spanning over 125 years. All information discussed in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. Further disclosures follow at the conclusion of the episode. This is the Invest It Best podcast. Hello and welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, proudly brought to you by Wilson's. At the time of recording, it's the start of September and the Aussie reporting season has just wrapped up. So what better time than to get an expert on the show to unpack the last few weeks and how different industries and companies have been navigating the unique times we find ourselves in, in the midst of a global pandemic. We're very lucky to have John Lockton, part of the investment strategy group at Wilson's. John, welcome to the Invested Best podcast. Yeah, good morning, Ted. Okay, let's review the Aussie reporting season and start off at a very broad level. John, how is earnings growth across the market looking relative to, say, where we were a few years ago, such as 2019? Yeah, well, Ted, we've we've got that position, I guess, where because of the impact of COVID only 12 months ago, where earnings got decimated for Aussie corporates, they were down you know, roughly 30 35%. We've got that kind of springboard effect as normality um, to a degree is starting to return. So, you know, a low base effect is really useful and it means that over the next 12 months, the market is looking for almost 20% earnings growth. Um, that's a shade slower than what we've seen in the in the prior 12 months in FY21, which was about 26 Um so yeah, relative to, to, to your question before, before COVID, it's a much higher level of growth, but of course it's a little bit distorted because of that low base effect. But nonetheless, 20% earnings growth as we uh, continue on this path to normality um, is, is not a bad backdrop when we're thinking about uh, Aussie equities. Let's zoom in on the different industries and sectors uh, within the Aussie market and find out how they all fared. Which industries were the ones that provided the upgrades over this reporting season? And, and also, conversely, which were the ones that provided the downgrades? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting through results season that the, the largest upgrades across the market came from those sectors where the management teams have very minor control on, uh, on their revenue lines. And that was the materials sector, so the resources, et cetera, where, um, you know, there's not much the, the management teams there can do to control uh, to control their total revenue. They can keep producing and pulling ore and uh, and and uh, resources out of the ground, but it's largely dictated by global commodity prices. So there was significant upgrades for the materials, and that's something we've seen you know for for over nine months now. As this path to normality is putting a real a real fire under global commodity prices. Um, and analysts, um, this is one of, the, one of the sectors where analysts are actually still pretty conservative. Um, if we look at the prices of commodities at the moment, they're in most cases significantly higher than what um, market forecasters are forecasting. So, you know, the longer those spot prices stay high, the more, um, the more room there is for some of those earnings estimates to drift up to where those spot prices are. And that's exactly what we saw through, um, that's exactly what we saw through, through, through August. So, 
Conversely, um, you had earnings upgrades for the material sector. The material sector actually underperformed in August, um, and that was largely to do with what's going on with BHP. So that was upgrades. Elsewhere, financials, um, which is really code for the banks. Um, the banks has been quite well discussed um, around with various market participants over the last nine months. That's, again, a path to, path to normality. Bad debts, materially less than what the, uh, what the original forecasts were. Um, so again, some improvement there. But what caught our eye in the financials was um, the, the non-bank financials, or particularly the insurance sector, um, which has been through a tough time. Um, and we've seen almost across the board globally and with the, the three big Australian um, insurance stocks, you know, QBE, Suncorp and IAG, they're actually having a really good time of things at the moment. There's an improving top line, so there's premium growth. And uh, the insurance sector actually has some positive top line and we think um, earnings momentum, which is, which is not yet fully factored into to share prices. So I think that's, that's still a really interesting space in the market and probably caught a few people by surprise. And then the last sector, Ted, which, um, which had some upgrades, which you know, when you think about it logically, probably you know, is not too surprising, but consumer staples. Um, you know, what's happened with Victoria and New South Wales in lockdown for, you know, two plus months is, you know, we're all at the supermarket. That's our get out of jail time, isn't it? So supermarket sales are going very strong and the, the upgrades from Metcash and Woolies um, and Coles um, reflected in those consumer staples upgrades. So um, the materials, so Rio BHP, financials, the banks and consumer staples, the supermarkets, fair to say the companies that provided the upgrades form a fair chunk of the, uh, the indexes. Yeah, when we look at the financials and materials, um, you know, you're getting close to 50% of the index. You're adding consumer staples and, you know, you're in the mid-50s in terms of contribution. So, yeah, the, the overall, on our numbers, the, the overall earnings growth was uh, was touched up just a little bit, you know, uh, you know, kind of 19 to 20-odd percent. But as you're kind of alluding to, if we look at the total number of stocks, look at the, the ASX 200, um, it was about 40% of stocks which had earnings revised up during the reporting season, which conversely means 60% of stocks had earnings go down or, or analysts, the market revised down their, their numbers. So overall, um, we're still talking about 20% earnings growth. Um, and uh, yeah, the materials, um, the banks, um, all the financials and uh, consumer staples doing the heavy lifting on that uh, 20% earnings growth. All right, and uh, which are the sectors that are kind of um, at the other end of the spectrum that have been providing the downgrades? Yeah, so smaller sectors, as, as you could probably deduce from, um, from what we said earlier. So utilities, large downgrades there. Um, so they're names like Origin, names like, um, names like AGL, and industrials. And interesting in the industrials camp, there's a lot of reopeners in there. So some of the travel stocks, um, some of the tourism stocks, some of the service-based companies are in that. And obviously with, with COVID, you know, keeping 40 plus percent of the nation, you know, indoors at the moment, there's the, the, they saw earnings downgrades from, uh, from, from analysts through, uh, through August. We've already started to look at, at the company level and there's so many different ways you can slice and dice reporting season. What's a good way to break the, the broad index up into three or four categories? Yeah, so we think at the moment, Ted, the, the way to do it is to look at, um, I guess, the, the impact of COVID 
around a number of these companies. It's it's the single uniting theme, um, which we saw through all companies through results season. And broadly, we we've done it over, you know, put stocks into three camps. So one is what we call looking through the valley. So if you like um, those companies which have been impacted by COVID, in some cases their businesses are, are almost in a state of hibernation right now. Um, you know. It, Two, two really good examples would be Crown Resorts um, and on the travel side, Qantas. Very little activity going on in both those businesses now. Um, the second camp would be what, what we call peak or plateau. So conversely, there's a bunch of companies which have done really well through COVID. They're actually printing record levels of revenue, record levels of earnings. Um, so there's a really big debate in the market as to whether that's, the sign of a peak or perhaps it plateaus, maybe it even goes down. So, you know, some of those consumer staple stocks like Coles, you could put in that camp. Um, some of the retailers like JB Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman, you could potentially put in that camp. The market is uncertain whether um, we have a peak in earnings and we all, you know, stop buying computers and uh, stop buying um couches and tables, and we convert that into holidays or, or, uh, or service spend. So that's bucket two. And then bucket three, ignore what I've said about COVID. These stocks just continue to do well almost you know, all season. They're almost all weather stocks. That's fantastic. Let's start off with that first bucket you mentioned, companies where we need to look past this period of disruption. I think you even used the, the, the valley analogy. What type of companies would you put in this category and how has the market viewed them? We touched on Qantas. I guess that's that's a bit of a poster child, I think, in terms of the eyes of many market participants, high profile, um, you know, national business and a real, I guess, a real reopener, you know, in the sense that we can't get on a plane to London or New York in the foreseeable future. And, you know, it was a really tough result. It was a poor result. Um, but the market pushed the share price up over 15% following the result through the course of August. And I think that gives you a sense of where the market is, is trying to get through. The market is, is being somewhat forgiving around the poor results when it's really obvious that those businesses aren't working, not because of, you know, management performance. Um, it, it's COVID and government lockdown. So that, that, is a, that, was, a, that was a flavour through, through results season. Um, you know, another stock... Um, in that same broad camp, which has had significant COVID um, impacts, would be a name like IAG, um, which has had, you know, significant COVID impacts. Yes, that business is still open for business. It's slightly different to Qantas. Um, but, um, you know, some mistakes by management in the past, and there's a sense there from investors that perhaps a lot of that bad news, those mistakes which have, where there's corrective action at the moment going on, that perhaps um, you know we need to start looking at that for when the world reopens and things get a little bit better. That's fascinating. And let now let's shift to the next group, the COVID winners that you mentioned. Who fall into this category? I think we've already provided a bit of colour on that. But how are, how's the market viewing these companies say over the next twelve months? Well, a lot of these companies, whether it's the consumer staples names, um, some of the auto stocks come to mind, particularly in the small and, and mid cap space. You know, AP Eagers. Um, ARB, which you know manufactures all-drive SUV accessories, Breville Group in terms of um, kitchen and um, homeware appliances. Um, a, a lot of these companies have printed you know record levels of earnings, 
and their, their earnings multiples, um, their valuation multiples implied by the market are, you know, essentially at record highs. Um, so for a, for a bunch of these companies through August, they, they failed to make new highs in terms of their share price. The, the, the market was the opposite of what happened to Qantas. They printed great results, you know, best ever. Um, but the market became more circumspect um, around the forward prospects. And, you know, Woolworths was probably a good example where going into results, the stock was, you know, trading around all-time highs. It's pulled back five-plus percent since the result. Um, not because it was a bad result, but because investors are, are starting to think, well, these lockdowns, particularly in the case of Woolies, we, we, might, we, might, we might see the end of those by the time we get through to November, December this year, in, in which case um, some of that earnings momentum is going to fade. So we think that's quite a big theme, which is not yet, you know, which is going to start to play out through this quarter and particularly in Q4 this year. Okay, that's fascinating. Let's let's do bucket three, the last category, businesses that have typically done well across all seasons. I was thinking about using a, a tennis analogy here. They're more of the Federer mold than maybe a Kyrgios mold. And, and keeping with the Federer example, the question many investors are probably thinking here, how much runway is left in the tank? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's a good analogy for some of these um, structural winners, the runway is last potentially lasts a good number of years yet. We we think that the runway um, is is far from an end. And you know, a couple of names just to give um, listeners a bit of a sense as to what type of businesses are exposed to what we'd call really long term structural drivers. Yes, some of the technology businesses certainly have that runway. Um, you know, accounting software with zero. You know, a bit of a poster child within Aussie tech of, of having a long runway, a global runway, um, an increasingly broader set of revenue drivers rather than just pure accounting software. Um, other tech names here in Oz, REA on the housing, car sales on the, on the automotive classified side. You know, you could argue that there's, there's multi-year runways there which stretch well through the middle part of this, this decade. Um, I think one of the, the other areas where there is a real, you know, acceleration of a structural driver would be, um, again, because of COVID, if you like, but it's just, you know, brought forward some of this growth and, and reinforced in the eyes of investors how powerful um, some of these structural trends are is, is, in, the, is in the real estate space. Um, you know, names like Goodman Group, Charter Hall, experts in, in effectively distribution centres, industrial sheds, um, which have now pivoted from, you know, colour bond buildings in, 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 a, in an outer suburban paddock to, you know, quite, uh, you know, technology-driven um, automated um, logistic hubs, which are powering, you know, every time we click on buy now on, the, on a website, you know, something moves in, in one, of their, one, of their, one of their sheds. And, and, and that, we think, um, that trend there, you know, we think has significant number of years to play out. So those type of structural names, and that's before we, you know, healthcare is another area, whether it's ResMed or, or CSL, there's, there's certainly multi-year runways there. And, you know, the multiples, the valuation multiples investors pay for those stocks are at a significant premium to the market. Um, and they're prepared to pay that because the growth rates are higher than the market and they're expected to be able to grow at those rates for, for a good number of years yet. 
Okay, well, um, maybe the, the Federer analogy wasn't appropriate because I'm, I'm not so sure, John, that uh, Federer has still got multi-years of runway left uh, in terms of um, Grand Slams. So if you would like to see John's fantastic research, including details of the companies that he likes over the next six to 12 months, visit the Wilson's website, wilsonsadvisory.com.au under the Research and Insights tab. Actually, before we move on to the next topic, I'm going to put you on the spot, John. Give me one company from your list and why you like it. I'm going to nominate um, IAG in the, in the insurance space. Um, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea at the moment. Um, we increased our weighting to that name in our, in our portfolios, which we run through results season. We, we touched earlier on the improving trend um, operating environment for, for insurance generally. And this is a stock which is yet, we think, to execute at the level which it potentially can. Um, this stock hasn't done everything right over the last two years. The company has made a series of blunders um, which have you know, forced it to raise considerable amounts of equity to shore up the balance sheet to get through, um, to get through a number of issues. We, we think the setup here for IAG, it reminds me very similar to where the banks were in the third and fourth quarter of last year where everyone hated the banks. Um, you know, they had large provisions for rainy days. Um, those rainy days weren't as, uh, weren't as significant as what, what we thought. Um, and, and the market started to come round to the earnings improvement story and the fact that it wasn't all going to be bad news. What we think that the setup for IAG is quite similar to that. Um, over the course of the next 12 months, we suspect some of these clouds which overhang the, the IAG business will start to lift. We suspect that the, the balance sheet, which is full of provisions at the moment for, for issues related with business interruption, insurance, and their, and their potential that they may need to pay out um, considerable amounts of money to, um, to policyholders. We think that those provisions are way in excess of what the actual dollar amount will be. Um, so as some of those clouds lift, as some of those issues get resolved, um, you know, we think there's a real pathway for the share price to be up materially on a 12-month on a view on, on, IAG, on IAG. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway take a position in IAG a few years ago? Yeah, a few years ago, they, they, they took a position um, and they've got, they're involved not only on the, you know, as an equity investor, that they also um, share revenue um, and share some of the underwriting agreements. So, yeah, it's interesting you, you bring that up. Insurance in Australia does seem to attract global investors. We've seen the entire life insurance space in this country effectively be sold to, to global uh, global pension funds and global investors. Um, hasn't happened yet in uh, in general insurance, but um, you know, never say never given the cash flows this sector can produce. Okay. Now, whilst the topic of this episode is reporting season, I just want to step away from that just for a moment and shift focus to two companies many Australians are getting to know more than they'd like, and that is Netflix and Disney. John, I'm interested how you're seeing this battle play out, not so much from a content perspective, but more from a, a business perspective. We'd see Disney as um, you know, one of the great creative content manufacturers globally and you know it's got decades of experience there which you know has this you know there's a little bit of magic there let's let, 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 let's be honest there's a little bit of magic which captures you know a three-year-old's attention right through to 
um, you know, your grandparents. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of universal in the, in the appeal of, of that content. And the, the, the battle for content, the battle for eyeballs is, is being disintermediated right around the world. Um, and with Disney, they were laggards. And I think what we're seeing with Disney, particularly with the, um, the launch over the last 12 months of their Disney Plus um, online subscription channel, which effectively is removing the, the network, the, the, the television networks and the, and the distribution organisations globally, and you're going straight to the source. You're going straight to Disney to get your content. Um, that, uh, you know, there's a, quite an interesting setup there. Um, you speak to you know so many families with young kids, and um, you know the Disney uh, the Disney package is is compelling um, compelling uh, content for for kids and, and child mining services, if you like. Um, so we we actually think we've done a little bit of work on that at, at at Wilson's. We actually think that Disney will probably end up with more subscribers globally than Netflix. It is a great business, and that you've got that incredible back catalogue of content that they've created over decades also includes you know the likes of star wars and marvel franchises as well which you know i'm a huge star wars fan i've loved those um those recent uh, series that they've got out there and then uh, moving across to netflix it just seems like it's been a long time since they've come out with one of their viral shows which they used to bring them out quite regularly be it with a you know the last dance or the tiger king they're well and truly due to bring out another another series like that yeah i think you know, all these businesses will go through, I guess, um, ups and downs in terms of, you know, really powerful content. But as we say, the opportunity for, for Disney is that you've just got a, a, a wider audience. Um, the Netflix audience, the core audience is really 18, 18 plus. It doesn't appeal so much to the kids. Um, it's a more American-centric audience, um, whereas, whereas Disney has universal age appeal and genuine global appeal, and um, you know it's still quite early in its in its journey of penetrating global markets with that Disney Plus product. South America, for example, comes online. Parts of Asia come online uh, second half this year. So um, I, I think it's just a really interesting setup, particularly when you you, you look at um, how investors are pricing those those two stocks. Yeah, and and I was I was even thinking about Disney from the framework that you we used at the start of this chat about who are the, the COVID winners and, and who are we looking past the valley? Disney almost fit into both of those buckets in that the subscription service is providing the value right now. But there's also the reopening to the theme park, which it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think you're right. There's kind of a couple of legs to the to the investment case on something like, a, on a name like Disney. Um, and I know when they reported results uh, through this uh, last August period, you know, the, there's plenty of pent-up demand in the US. You know, the parks are essentially at capacity for the COVID restrictions, which are which are still impacting those parks. There's, there's plenty of demand there. So, um, yeah, that that business, you know, those theme parks lost money last year. It's it's a rare time when when Disney loses money, and you know that's going to um, uh, that's going to come back pretty quickly, I'd imagine, as uh, as that re- reopening gathers uh, gathers pace. Let's wrap it up there. John, thank you for joining us on the show and updating us on the latest reporting season. No worries. Thanks, Ted. John will be joining us as one of the regular guests on the show. So for listeners, if you got value from what was discussed today and interested in hearing further episodes, then make sure you subscribe to the show. 
I'll put links to John's great research in the podcast episode information. So if you're listening to this via Apple Podcasts or Spotify right now, just have a look out for those in the episode summary sections. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you receive all new Invest at Best episodes as they come out. John's research is also available on the Wilson's website, wilsonsadvisory.com.au under the Research and Insights tab. Okay, that's it for the second episode. Make sure you check out the first episode if you missed it where I spoke with David about the case for private equity episodes to continue to come out fortnightly from here. I hope that you can join me. See you next time on the Invest It Best podcast. This podcast has been prepared by Wilson's. Wilson's has not independently verified any of the information given in this podcast and no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information and opinions contained therein. All effort is made to ensure information was accurate at the time of recording. No reliance should be placed on this podcast in making any investment decision and past performance is no indication of future performance. The directors of Wilson's advise that they and persons associated with them and Wilson's may have an interest in financial products referred to in this podcast.